Something that I absolutely love is a good story, right? And, and you know those stories that you have from your past that you're like really good at telling? Like that's something that happened in third grade, like when I farted during silent reading, right? I know that story really well, and that story kills. People laugh at it because it's really embarrassing for me. But you know you have those stories that you tell really well, and then you have the stories that like books tell too. And books are pretty cool because you get to use your imagination. I mean, it could be talking about whatever, like Lord of the Rings or something cool like that, right? And you can imagine like what the orcs look like and stuff, but then there's movies, which then you don't have to read ever again, right? That's generally how it works. Now, a good story, what makes a good movie a good movie? And each, each one of us has different likes, different things that we like in a story, different things that we don't like in a story. Like, I'm not a huge fan of love stories, okay? I'm just, that's the way I am. I have facial hair. And so, in, in, you know, I am a huge fan of bullets and fists hitting people in the face, all right? That's just, and explosions, things like that. Like, have you guys ever seen the movie Pacific Rim? Giant robots punching giant monsters in the face. It's awesome. That's so good. That's like my childhood, you know? It's really cool. But what makes a good story a good story is like the plot, right? And, and what keeps you on the edge of the seat is when you're connected with a character, when you're connected with, with what they're feeling and you're like, you feel happy when they're happy and you feel devastated when a tragedy happens or anything like that. Now, stories get told a lot and the good ones get told over and over and over. I mean, have you guys read any Shakespeare in, in high school yet, like for the like English class and stuff like that? Did you guys ever read the, the, the play Hamlet? Some, a couple, all right? So, like, let me put the plot out. So, in Hamlet, there's, like, a prince, and his dad's a king. Dad's an awesome king, right? But there's the uncle who's, like, evil, right? And he kills the king, and then the prince is like, no, my dad died, and runs off and is, like, like in isolation. But then he, like, realizes that he's a man now. And so he comes back, and he kills his uncle, and he takes the kingdom, and the, the kingdom is saved. Does that remind you of any movie, like maybe The Lion King? The exact same plot. The exact same plot. Where Mufasa is an awesome king, and then Scar, his brother, and his Scar's got a scar across his face. You know he's evil, right? And kills Mufasa, Simba goes off, sings Hakuna Matata, comes back, kills Scar, and then it's the same exact plot as Hamlet. It's crazy. And then you think about the movies, too, and the movies totally do it again and again and again, like Mega Mind and Despicable Me. Same exact plot. Both are about supervillains who, you know, turned evil because of bad upbringings, finding themselves seduced by the good side to defeat an even badder guy. That's the same exact movie. Or they don't even get very creative anymore. There's one movie that came out, like, or these, these two movies that are like twins. They came out the same month, and it's Olympus Has Fallen. Who knows the other one? White House Down. The same exact movie with, with actors that have six-packs, too. Like, everything was the same. Everything was the same. It was an attack on the White House in both movies, and they're trying to kidnap the president for some terror plot, and Hollywood just does it again and again and again. But good stories kind of need to get retold again and again and again. And we're in the story series. We're in story time. Now, some of you might not know this, but the Bible is full of all kinds of crazy, awesome stories. And not like the watered down, like kid versions of things that you hear in like kids' church if you grew up in the church and you like had like a felt board or something. I had that because I grew up in like this small, tiny church and you could put the little characters up and it's like, oh, Jonah got eaten by a fish. Like that would have sucked, right? Like, the Bible has got some really crazy, crazy cool stuff. And so 
in, the, in this series, we've already heard Pastor Joe talk about Joseph and his crazy, like, up and down life. And then last week, we heard Pastor JL talk about uh, Egypt and the plagues and the frogs that were everywhere and all kinds of crazy stuff like that. And tonight, I'm going to be talking about a dude named David. And I'm sure if you guys have grown up in the church, um, you've heard the story of, like, David and Goliath and stuff like that. Well, tonight, I'm going to be talking about David a lot. And... The reason I'm talking about David, because we obviously want to pull stuff out of these stories, but what's really cool about the story of David is his life is like my cup of tea, and my middle name's David, so maybe it's just meant to be. All right, I don't know how it works, but uh, I just really, David is my favorite character outside of Jesus in the Bible. Like, I read his story more than any other story in the Bible, and his story is found in like three whole sections, uh, or three whole books of the Bible, uh, from 2 Samuel all the way through uh, 1 Kings, and then in the Chronicles, they kind of like retell some stuff, because you know if they're retelling it, it's awesome stuff. Okay, and so... David's awesome, but the reason I want to talk about him tonight, the reason that I want to share David's story, the Bible tells it. The Bible talks about how awesome David is, and it's nowhere near where he's listed in the Bible. It's actually in the other end in the book of Acts. And uh, chapter 13, 22b talks about this. It says, a man about whom God said, and talking about David, I have found David, son of Jesse. That's just David's dad. It's not something tricky. Um, a man after my own heart. He will do everything I want him to do. And this aspect of David being a man after God's own heart, that's what I want to look at today. I'm going to tell you three different parts of his story, and we're going to look at what made David a man after God's own heart. Because he's the only character in the Bible that, that the Bible describes with that verbiage of, of someone being a man after God's own heart. And so his story is really awesome, and it's really long, so let's get into it. Um, story time. Here we go. Uh, so at the time in the Bible right here, the very first king, the first king of Israel, his name is Saul. All right? And Saul was the tallest and most handsome man in all the land. All right? This I'm going to bring the ladies in on this one, okay? So imagine, like, tall Brad Pitt or whoever, you know, like, uh, Channing Tatum, I heard just now. Okay, that's fine. Destiny, that was you. All right. Um, so, um, no, I like Channing Tatum too. He was in Olympus Has Fallen. No, White, White House Down. I'm sorry, fellas. You guys are Channing Tatum fans too. Cool. Um, so, imagine Channing Tatum, right? So, he is, he's like, King Saul is like the, the tallest, most handsome man. He's the king. Like, God anointed him king. Now, there's this dude named David. Now, David is the son of Jesse, but Jesse has other sons too. All right, and King Saul is supposed to do what God wants, to, wants him to do. That's, that's the whole point of being a king of Israel is you listen to what the Lord says, you follow his commandments because you're guiding and leading God's people. It's pretty important to listen to God if you're leading God's people. So Saul decides not to do that, which is a terrible decision. And so God's like, I'm going to anoint somebody else's king. So he tells Samuel. Now Samuel is a prophet, Prophet is just a messenger for God. So God would tell Samuel, hey, go tell the king this. Samuel would be like, okay, and tell the king. So God says, Samuel, go find Jesse and anoint one of his sons as king because Saul's bananas, all right? And that's, that's not in the Bible. It doesn't say bananas. But um, that's pretty much what happens. So Saul goes down to Jesse's house, and he's like, Jesse, I need to see all your sons. One of them's going to be anointed king. And I can't, can't imagine Jesse's mind of like, I'm going to be like the king the dad of a king, but not a king. Grand king? I don't know what to call him. You know, like, but Jesse's probably pretty excited about it. So he gets his sons and he lines them up from oldest 
you know, down to youngest. And, and Jesse's oldest son's got like, you know, Channing Tatum-esque, all right? Like he's, he's older, he's like tall, he's more mature, you know, and, and of course that's Samuel thinks it's gonna be the older son. It's gonna be, the, you know, the one that has more facial hair or whatever. And, and he walks up to the oldest son and God's like, nope, not him. And so, you know, you guys know who who's, we're talking about tonight. So long story short, Samuel goes through all the kids in the room and none of them, God's like, none of these guys are, are it. So Samuel tells Jesse, he's like, do you got any other kids? Because this is getting awkward. God told me it was supposed to be one of your kids. And he's like, yeah, I got, this, I got my youngest son named David. He's out in the fields, manning the sheep and the goats. That's, that's what his job was. And so Samuel's like, bring him in, bring him in. And God's like, as soon as David walks in the room, God tells Samuel that is the new king. And just so you know, the Bible also describes David as being very handsome with very beautiful eyes, all right? So ladies, stay with me, okay? And <laughs> fellas, whatever, right? And so, like, what, like, David is anointed king, all right? What anointing means, they just dump oil in your head. And w- what it signifies is that you're set apart, that you're, you're set apart for something more special, something reserved for the Lord and being king of God's people. That's definitely that. So David's a boy. He's a shepherd boy, gets oil dumped on his head, and this old guy says, you're king. <laughs> and so, Guess what happens next? David goes back out to the fields and the sheep. That's what he does next. He doesn't, know what, he doesn't have anything else to do. I mean, he's a kid still, right? Fast forward a couple years. Um, now, Saul is still the king in public. Like, this whole thing happened in, like, Jesse's living room. And so Saul is still the people's king. And so he is waging war against these, like, crazy people called the Philistines, all right? The Philistines kind of like, I kind of compare them to ISIS a little bit. Like they are only out to destroy like what like God has set up for his children and they're only out to destroy. The Philistines just want to like slander God and they hate um, Israel and they want their land and their crops and stuff. So the Philistines are not good people at all. So Saul lines up his army and the Philistines line up their army and there's this field in between them in the Valley of Elah. Um, in the Bible. And so whenever battle happens in the Bible, I get really excited because remember I like bullets and, and fists punching people in the face and stuff. So I really like the story of David. But what happens is there's this, there's this big, big giant guy. And actually I got a to scale model of how tall this dude was. And I'm sure you've, I'm sure you've heard uh, the name Goliath before, right? I'm sure you've heard the name Goliath. So this is how tall Gal- the Bible says Goliath was. Nine feet, nine inches tall. That's a lot. That's a big dude, right? And I'm still picturing, like, Channing Tatum abs and, you know, like, except arms that are size of Josh, you know. Usually Josh has the big arms in the room. Um, you know, but that's, that's a big guy. That's a big dude. It's a big dude. And, and this is a, I don't know if this is exactly to scale spear, but, I mean, I would imagine it's something like that. The Bible says that his uh, spear was as heavy as a weaver's beam, <laughs> I have no idea how they visit, but um, I imagine pretty heavy if, if they're putting the emphasis on that. Different cultures, I guess. Um, but like big old spear, big dude. And this dude isn't just like standing out there like, I don't know if you've seen Brave, like that big guy in Brave. He just stands there and catches arrows, right? No, Goliath is out and he's like trash talking the Israelites hard, like slandering God. And it's, it's bad. Like he's using curse words, right? It's bad. It's really bad. Uh, and stuff, and so 
David comes into the scene because his dad's like, go give your brother some cheese, all right? And David's like, well, okay. And, and so this is, yeah, I'm serious, this is in the Bible. You know, it's probably not, it's not phrased that way, but um, that's what happened, okay? And so David is running supplies to his brothers, and David's like, yo, what's that big, big guy you know, talking, and he says, what's, what's with this big guy? Like, what, what, why is he, why are you guys taking this? He's trash-talking our God. Like, what's, what's up with that? And uh, long story short, he ends up getting to King Saul, and uh, this is where we're actually going to read what happens out of the Bible. Um, and this is what David says to Saul. Don't worry about this Philistine, David told Saul. I'll go fight him. First of all, he's like, he's still like a boy coming in, you know, and it's like Goliath, and it's like a boy and stuff. And so uh, Saul obviously replies, don't be ridiculous. Saul replied, there's no way you can fight the Philistine and possibly win. You're only a boy. And he's been a man since his youth. Meaning like, you know, Goliath came out probably like a 20-pound baby just crushing other babies. And like, and he's a, a man of war since his youth, right? And he's just like, just crushing kids. Um, totally the bully on the playground, you know? And uh, this is what David says. I've been taking care of my father's sheep and goats. <laughs> That'll help. That'll help, right? Yeah. That's, uh, but uh, I digress. David goes on. He says, when a lion or bear comes to steal a lamb from the flock, I go after it with a club and rescue the lamb from its mouth. If the animal turns on me, I catch it by the jaw and club it to death. <laughs> Saul's like, this kid's crazy, right? A lion or a bear? And it's like, yeah, so, you know, I, I've been in the fields, and when a lion, I just I chase the lion down, I get, you know, and then I just, like, get the lamb back, and then if the lion's like, I'm going to eat you too, I catch it, and I kill it. <laughs> yeah, that's rational. Of course. Of course you do. Oh, and a bear too. All right. Right? And, and, he, and this is what David says. He says, I've done this to both lions and bears, and I'll do it to this pagan Philistine too, for he has defied the armies of the living God. The Lord who rescued me from the claws of the lion and the bear, he's going to rescue me from the Philistine. That's what David says. That's what, that's what David says that, you know what, it doesn't matter about how big this dude is because by myself, without an army around me or anything like that, just me and my God, I killed a bear. I killed a lion with my bare hands. And I can't believe, I can't imagine Saul's face, <laughs> right? But let's pause the story right here. I mean, this is the first time that David shows us that he's a man after God's own heart. And this is why. He was anointed king years ago, right? He's anointed king as a boy, but he doesn't go after it right away. He goes into the field. And, what, and, and, and he, he's obviously been training if he's killing bears and lions, right? But with who? If he's alone. With God. The first, the first way we see that, that David's a man after God's own heart is that he spent personal, private time with God. That, that's, the, that's the first way, that, that if you invest in quiet times, oh man, I just said quiet times. You guys just turn your ears off, right? I mean, how many times have you heard the, the, the term quiet time in church? Why do you think we say it so much? Because it's super legit, okay? David learned how to kill bears with, with quiet times, all right? I'm serious, man, I'm serious. That's, that's the truth. And that was for David's life, obviously. But if you invest in your personal relationship with God, what you are meant to do one day in public, you have to first do in private. Does that make sense? Like David had to first conquer giants by himself before he could conquer giants in front of others. 
because that's what he was called to do. That's what he's anointed to do. And that's the same for us. I'm telling you, every single one of you guys here has a purpose and a mission in this life. And if you don't conquer that person and that purpose and mission with your personal time with the Lord first, it's not gonna pan out later. Or you're gonna severely um, just make your purpose and mission keep going back and back and back because you're not spending that personal private time with the Lord. So that's, that's the first way we see in David's life. And because it's, you know, David and Goliath, I'm not gonna, um, you know, stop this. But I want, I wanna say this about a quiet time. The thing that happens in the hidden parts of your life, like take a seed, for example, all right? So we have a seed, not a bacon seed, um, an actual seed. You crazies over there. Okay. <laughs> bacon seed. It's a little piglet. Um, no, that does not work for my illustration currently. Um, so you see the far, the far left of the screens, you see the, uh, what's the first step the seed has to do? It has to put roots down first. Like roots are the first part. Roots are the first part. Like what happens in the hidden place under the soil, that's what makes the seed grow first. That's the first step. So David had to be rooted in the Lord first before anything above the service could actually happen. So we need to be rooted in the Lord in our personal life before we can, um, before we can do the things that we're called to do and meant to do um, in, a, in a public setting first. That's, that's the first way. Now, um, let's read the rest of the story of how uh, the fight with the Philistine goes down. Um, he picked up five smooth, and this is David, he picked up five smooth stones from a stream and put them into his shepherd's bag, all right? So sweet armor, you know, things, a shepherd's bag. Uh, then armed only with the shepherd's staff and a sling. And for those of you that don't know what a sling is, um, I brought my super awesome skills with me tonight. Um, so what you do is you put, like, I have this uh, golf ball right here, right? Just kidding, it's a ping pong ball. I'm not as confident in my skills. Sorry, I didn't mean that. I apologize. Um, but that's a sling, okay? So David picks up a stone, and he puts it in his, like, sweet sling thing. Uh, and Goliath walked out toward David with his shield bare ahead of him, sneering in contempt at this ruddy-faced, well, I don't ruddy foot, maybe the acne or something. Um, but he said, am I a dog? He roared at David. I'm a dog, he roared at David. That you come at me with a stick, and he cursed David by the name of his gods. Come over here, and I'll give your flesh to the birds and wild animals. Goliath yelled. So big, tall, uh, Chang Tatum-looking guy yelled that at him. And this is what David said to the Philistine. You come to me with sword, spear, and javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of heaven's armies, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you've defied. Today the Lord will conquer you, and I will kill you and cut off your head. And then I will give your dead bodies of your men to the birds and wild animals. And the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. And everyone assembled here will know that the Lord rescues his people, not with sword and spear. This is the Lord's battle, and he will give you to us. Oh, right? I don't know what Goliath's face was to that. But David was mean. And, and I'm talking, this isn't the watered-down version that you might have heard in kids' church. Like, we totally leave this next part out in kids' church because we don't want the kids to be scarred. All right? And so this is, this is what it says. Goliath moved closer to attack. David quickly ran out to meet him. That's something that I think is so cool, that David 
didn't just like, I, I, when I was growing up, I just had this image of David like standing like on a rock, right? And like, whew, like that. This is war, people. <laughs> that doesn't happen. He's not sailing across a river, right? And, and so David grabs his sling and starts sprinting at Goliath. Like this is on, like Donkey Kong, right? It is going. It is going. So reaching into a shepherd's bag and taking out a stone, he hurled it with a sling and hit the Philistine in the forehead. The stone sank in and Goliath stumbled and fell down face on the ground. That's where we stop in kids' church, right? This next part we don't. So David triumphed over the Philistine with only a sling and a stone, for he had no sword. Then David ran over, pulled out Goliath's sword from its sheath. David used it to kill him and then cut off his head. That's psycho! That's crazy. But, but for David to, to defeat the guy that is slandering God, that is throwing curses at God, you better believe that he's going to come, come to war for blood. Like, I can't imagine the armies are like, what? Like, Goliath's dudes are like, yeah, I'm out. <laughs> right? I'm done. I'm done. This, like, little boy just, like, cut off Goliath's head. And Goliath threw me through, like, a tree yesterday. So, um, such a cool story. Now, fast forward years and years. All right, story time still going on. Um, Saul gets totally peanut butter and jealous of David, right? Because, uh, you know, little, little, little boy just slayed Goliath. And so now Saul is super jelly. And so he ends up trying to kill David a bunch of different times. Like throws spears at him. Like David's just like in the corner playing the harp. This is for real. And then, Dave, and then Saul's like, ah! And throws this spear. And David's like, peace. <laughs> I'm out. And so David runs because Saul's still the anointed king. It's like he's the king. It's not like some dude slandering God. And so, like, David runs. And Saul chases him with his entire army. Army of Israel is now after David. And, like, since he's killed the Philistine, obviously he has a job in the military. And he's commanding men. And he's fighting. He's winning battles. And, and seriously, this is in the Bible. The girls are singing. Saul kills his thousands, but David kills his ten thousands, or however they danced back then. And, and, like, and Saul's totally jealous about it. Saul's totally jealous about it. So Saul chases him, and uh, long story short, he keeps on trying to kill David, and David ends up, ends up like hiding in the wilderness with his men in caves. Like that's how hardcore Saul's trying to chase him. It's not like he's just like, oh, I'm in the next town over. No, he's like being chased into the wild. Into the, and it's not like pristine, like there's lakes everywhere and fish. Like this is like desert, like hardcore wilderness with like caves and they're hungry and they're dirty and they're, they're thirsty and like it's really, really hard. And this is the next way that we see David was a man after God's own heart was how hard it was in that wilderness. And... Um, what happens in the wilderness is Saul, uh, so Saul's chasing him, and, and Saul, like, gets off his horse, and he's like, man, I got to pee, uh, straight up, all right? This is in the Bible, and, and he goes, okay, that verbiage wasn't in the Bible, okay? It says that Saul had to relieve himself, let's be adults, okay? Um, and so he, he's like, I need, to, I need to pee, and I don't want anybody to see me, so I'm going to go in this cave. And so he goes in this cave, guess who's in the cave? David and all his men. And by the way, there's a whole separate thing. David's men are like super legit. Like super legit. Like there's some of his mighty men that kill like 300 people in one battle. 
with like their own sword. Like it's crazy. Like 300 style, like I will slaughter you, right? And um, that's, that's his men. So his men are in there with him and David is super legit in battle too. And obviously he killed a Goliath. And so, <laughs> don't even tell you that. So they're in the, like Saul's in the cave and Saul's like, you know, doing his business. You know, like, and you know, like guys, we know like the rule in the bathroom. Like you don't touch each other. You don't talk to each other. You don't look at each other. It's weird, right? Especially you don't know people, right? And, uh, and so <laughs> Saul's just like doing his business. I don't know if he's whistling or whatever. And, uh, and da- no joke, this is what happens. David creeps up behind him like some ninja, right? Because it's not like there's like music, you know, in the bathroom. And so it's a cave. He, he creeps up behind him and he takes out a knife. He takes out his knife and he cuts a piece off the bottom of Saul's robe while he's going to the bathroom. It's weird, I don't know. And, uh, but... But David creeps back, and his men tell him, you should kill him. You could kill him and get the crown right now. But David doesn't do it. David doesn't do that. Instead, after Saul, you know, Saul goes back out the cave, David runs out, and he's like, Saul, feeling a draft? You know, I don't know what he said. Um, you know, I, don't, I don't know what he said. But he goes, you know, he, you know, he's, he's Saul, and he says, I could have killed you, but I didn't. I could have killed you, but I didn't. And Saul's probably like, what? <laughs> and like, because he held up a piece, like, this is proof. I could have, like, murdered you. You didn't even know I was there. And you need to pay more attention, I guess. And, and David's like, but I didn't kill you. Like, because David just, David doesn't want to kill Saul. Because Saul is still an anointed king. Like, David's not going to mess with what God has done. And so Saul says, okay, I won't kill you, but that ends up trying to kill him again. And so <laughs> keeps, keeps chasing him through the wilderness. And remember how I talked about earlier that uh, David, he totally wrote um, some, some stuff in the Bible. And he wrote, if you, if you turn to your Bible and you pretty much try to open right in the middle, you'll probably hit some of David's writing. It's in the book of Psalms. He wrote a majority of the Psalms. And what's so cool about the story of David also is that he wrote these songs and these prayers to God. And on the beginning of some of the Psalms, it tells you where he was when he wrote them. So this is, a, this is part of Psalm 142. And this Psalm was when he was in the cave. And this is what he said, because he's being chased by Saul. I mean, I mean it's, it's terrible. Like he's been anointed king, but he's being chased in the wilderness by the king. Like, and the king's gonna kill him. Like this, the cards are stacked against him. And, and this is what he says. He says, I cry out to the Lord. I plead for the Lord's mercy. I pour out my complaints before him and tell him all my troubles. When I'm overwhelmed, you alone know the way I should turn. Wherever I go, my enemies have set traps for me. I look for someone to come and help me, but no one gives me a passing thought. No one will help me. No one cares a bit what happens to me. He told God what was actually on his heart. He was real with him. This is the second way we we see that David was a man after God's heart. He was real with him. Growing up in, in church, I always, like, like, I had to memorize the Lord's Prayer, and I had to memorize these things, and I would just, just say them, like, okay, this is what we, if we pray, we say this, and, like, these exact words in this exact order. And I never, I never awakened in me God's want for us to be just real with him, just real. See, God already knows every aspect of your heart. He already knows all your thoughts. He already knows all the things that, that you love, all the things that you hate. He knows your sense of humor. He knows the things that drive you nuts because he put them there. And all he wants from us is to be real. 
So, so David in the wilderness is saying, God, my enemies are, are, are all around me. Death is around every corner. Why have you forsaken me? He's real with him. And this, if there's something you get out of tonight, I just, I just hope that you understand that if you are real with God, you're guaranteed to encounter his presence. If you hide something from him or just tell him what you think he wants to hear, you'll miss out on his presence. Because he's not after lofty words. He's not after your words. He's after your heart. So if you want to be a man or woman after God's own heart, you give him yours. Every part of it, your anger, your sin struggles, every bit of it, your humor, your joy, all of it. Every single bit of it. And you can, that's, that's another way we can be men and women of, after God's own heart. All right, back to the story. Story time. Changing gears back again. Fast forward a whole lot of years. Saul ends up killing himself because he's bonkers. And uh, he, the Philistines, he's in a battle with the Philistines. And, and Saul's like, well, I'm going to die anyway. So he falls on his sword. It's like, there's probably easier ways to go out. But um, that, that's just like, ouch. That's just, uh, I don't like getting stabbed. Um, and so... Saul kills himself, David becomes king, and David even captures Jerusalem, which, FYI, is still the capital of Israel. What? Still is. Still is the capital of Israel. It's really cool. Israel's like the, still a country, right? And it's God's country. Weird how that's still a country, right? Um, and so he, he's king. He has like a palace, and he's in Jerusalem, and he's living like awesome, and he defeated the Philistines in a whole bunch of different battles and, and other armies and stuff like that, and he expanded the territory to be exactly what God has promised his kids. Like years ago, like when Jay was talking about how Moses led the people out of Egypt, and God promised them land, like in David's campaign of capturing certain cities and expanding some borders, that was like the promise. Like Israel had it all. Had it all, all right? And so he's king. He's like got a whole bunch of wives too. And, um, and he's, because that's how they ruled back then. That's not how we rule now, obviously. Don't take that from tonight. Um, and so <laughs> he, he's, 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 living, he's living awesome. He's, he's, he's living the dream. Um, and so what happens is now he's king and he's still a warrior. And as king, you're supposed to like defend your land. So every springtime, you would go out and you would go on a war campaign. And he was, he, at this point in time, he was, like, defending some, like, like some, some enemies coming against his borders and everything like that. But he decides to not go. He's like, I'm not going to go. I'll send my general to do it. I'll send my general to go off and, and fight the wars. And so he stays home in his palace. And so he's, you know, walking around. I'm, and I'm guessing. I don't know. I, like, I feel like if he's living all high and mighty in a palace instead of a cave, he's probably a little chubbier. And, uh, you know, eating food and stuff like that and, and stuff. And um, not watching people pee or whatever. And so... Uh, he's, you know, he has his own bathroom now. It's not, he doesn't share it. And so he's on his, walking on his palace. And he's walking on the rooftop. And then he sees across the way a woman bathing, which, you know, I'm a out, right? David doesn't do that. And this woman is very beautiful, the Bible says. And this woman is also married to one of David's mighty men. Remember the dudes that are like really good at battle, all right? But one of David's closest followers too, like one of David's men. Like he went to war with these guys, you know? And, and, and so this, guy, the, this, this woman is named Bathsheba and her husband is Uriah. And Uriah is one of the, 
the 30, one of the, one of the, like the mighty men, and, and he's off fighting a war, but he sees Bathsheba. And instead of just like, just going like this, he's like, I want her. Sends the servants, brings her into his bedroom, and commits adultery with her. Like, that's crazy. Like, I'm talking about a guy after God's own heart. He commits adultery. But it doesn't stop there, right? David's story is crazy. So David is like, okay, I had fun. And then Bathsheba's like, yo, I'm pregnant. David's like, what? You're pregnant? Are you sure? You know, and she's like, yeah, I'm pregnant. And so he's like, oh, how am I going to get out of this? So this is his plan. I'm just going to kill Uriah. No. Um, he's like, I'm going to bring Uriah back, and I'm going to say, hey, how you doing? And I'm going to get him drunk, and I'm going to see if I can get him to have, you know, sleep with his wife. And uh, that doesn't work. So then David's like, I'll just kill him. Straight up. This is really what happens. David sends a letter with Uriah to the general named Joab and says, tell Uriah, or send Uriah to the front lines where the battle is the most fierce. And Uriah dies in battle, like next to a city wall. And so David commits adultery, gets her pregnant, kills the husband, and then takes her as his wife. Crazy, right? Man after God's own heart does this. And so he does this. I mean, he's the king. Who's going who's gonna to do anything to him? The Lord. <laughs> Lord knows all, sees all. Sends another prophet named Nathan. And Nathan comes up to him and he's like, yo, the Lord saw everything and I know and he's mad about it. And, and so David finds out that God is really mad about this. Obviously he is, right? He's really mad about this. But I don't want to talk about David's sins here. I want to talk about how he responds. How he responds to the sin. Now I talked about how David wrote his prayers and wrote his things. Well, Psalm 51 talks about his heart right after he committed adultery and did all this stuff. And this is what he says to God. He says, purify me from my sins and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Oh, give me back my joy again. You have broken me. Now let me rejoice. Don't keep looking at my sins. Remove the stain of my guilt. Create in me a clean heart, O oh God. Renew a loyal spirit within me. Do not banish me from your presence. Don't take your Holy Spirit from me. And this is what I want us to focus on. Verse 16, you do not desire a sacrifice or I would offer one. You do not want a burnt offering. The sacrifice you desire is a broken spirit. You will not reject a broken and repentant heart, O oh God. David uses sin, a mess up, as an opportunity to turn back toward God and go further into his presence. David understands it's not like if, you, if he messes up in sin, it's not a sacrifice that God wants. It's not, okay, well, I'm gonna set up all these guidelines and I'm gonna set up all these things and I'm, I'm just not gonna go back to that sin because what are we still doing? We're still looking at that sin. We're not looking at God. But David says, no, I'm broken. God, I'm sorry. He understands that it's not about, it's not about trying to fix the junk. It's about fixing your heart to go back to God. David uses sin as an opportunity to catapult himself further into God's presence. 
Do you hear the freedom in that? This is one of the biggest ways that we can see that David was a man after God's own heart because he knew God so much that he knew that if he just cleaned it up, okay, I promise I won't commit adultery and kill the husband again, right? He doesn't say, he doesn't just try and clean up all the junk and stay in it. No, he is broken before the Lord and comes back to him because the Lord desires a repentant heart, a heart that is sorry, that wants God's heart. There's so, so many times that we, we see our sin and we just try and we just try and, uh, Sean, if you could just get this stuff out of here. There's so many times in our, in our life that we, we, we sin, we mess up, and then what happens is we just try and fix the mess up. When in reality, the reason we messed up was because our heart was a little off. See, David, he was supposed to go to war. He was supposed to stay under his anointing, under his purpose and a mission of being king of Israel. Kings go with their armies. They lead their armies into battle. David stayed home. What have we stayed home from? Where are the parts of our lives that God wants us to go to battle for? What are the parts of our lives that God wants us to be men and women after his heart? Because I'll tell you, for every single one of you, you your purpose and mission is to be after God's heart. Because God's after yours. He's after yours. What we can learn from David's story, the three aspects of, of being just, just value, being close to him in our personal private time, to be real with him all the time. And the times we take our eyes off, let our hearts break for God. We can use times we mess up as an opportunity to not only just turn back to God and fix junk, but to go further into his presence. And what's cool about where we're at now is we have the spirit of the Lord living inside of us. Like we don't need a prophet. We don't need a messenger talking to us about what's written on our hearts because the spirit of God is in us. So we know those things. God gives us those things inside of us. So right where you guys are, I just want you to close your eyes. And I want you to think first about your personal private worship time. Your personal private time with the Lord. And quiet time has kind of got religion written all over it. But I'm just talking about, I want you to picture yourself just sitting in a chair right next to Jesus. Just picture him right there. Picture him just looking at you with this little smile, a little smirk. He says, I'm all ears. And he says, I, I wanna I wanna train you. I wanna help you fulfill your purpose in life. Because I'm love you and I know what you're capable of and how and how
how you can achieve that is through me. I want you to think in your mind right now, and I want you to imagine right now your schedule for tomorrow. Jesus is still sitting next to you, and I want you to schedule an appointment tomorrow to sit in this chair you're in right now. You're next to Jesus in a chair. Schedule an appointment with him tomorrow to be in that chair. Jesus, I'll, I'll sit in this chair with you tomorrow right after I wake up. Or Jesus, I'll sit you, I'll sit with this, so I'll sit in this chair with you, you know, right before I go to bed. But set that appointment. I want you to tell Jesus, I'll be there. And I guarantee if you show up, he shows up. Guaranteed. Now imagine Jesus saying, okay, well, what are we going to talk about tomorrow at our appointment? Jesus says, I want to talk about real stuff with you. I want to talk about the hurts in your life. I also want to talk about the awesome stuff in your life, too. You can imagine Jesus saying, I want every single bit of your heart tomorrow at our appointment. Maybe some of you are like, I'm too excited. I'm going to stay in this chair right now. That's completely cool. During your appointment tomorrow, when you're talking about real stuff and a sin comes up in your life, you to look at Jesus right in the eyes and I want you to imagine his eyes glistening as if tears are almost falling out not because he's ashamed of you or disappointed in you but because he loves you so much he cannot wait to have you closer to him when you tell him about that sin in your life that struggle in your life I want you to imagine he gets up and gives you the biggest hug up in our life can be an opportunity to be go, go further into his arms instead of further away. I'm telling you right now, Jesus isn't interested in your sins. He's already died for them. He already paid for every single one of them. But he is so interested in your heart. And Jesus is saying, if you're interested in my heart, I'll tell you, you are a man or you're a woman after mine. Jesus, we love you so much. God, you love us so much. So, Father, as we think about these appointments that we have with you, Jesus, as we think about these special tender moments we get to have with you, God, I pray for every single heart in this room for every single heart in here. I pray for it to crack open like a seed and grow roots deep into you, God. I pray for every single heart to be real with you, to let those roots grow, to let a sprout come up out of the ground. And I pray for fruit to one day, even if it's tomorrow, it's tonight, in all these trees, all these hearts in this room, God.
anytime we mess up, Jesus, I pray that we can understand that instead of wallowing in guilt and shame and struggling with the sin again and again, we can just turn toward you and leap further into your arms. I pray for every single one of our hearts to be hearts after you. love you. We thank you. In your heavenly name, God. Amen. I want to challenge you guys. Those appointments you made with him, show up. I've definitely missed appointments with him, and I just imagine Jesus sitting in the chair just like twiddling his thumbs. I'm so sorry I was late. Right? Show up to him. Show up to his appointments. It's a guarantee he'll show up to him. Have you got anything on your heart? that you just need a little bit of help talking about or anything like that. We encourage you to talk to a pastor or something like that. But right now we're going to dismiss to our small groups. And um, we just thank you guys so much for coming out tonight. And we will see you guys next week. Thanks for listening to the 4640 Student Center Podcast. For more information on what's happening in 4640, you can check us out on social media and at our website, 4640gj.com. Service times are Tuesday and Wednesday nights. Hope to see you there.